Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We'll look at our sixth commandment tonight, Exodus chapter 20. As we get started, we look around and we see violence and murder increasing at an all-time level. We see things like defund the police, which who would have ever thought we'd ever see that. We see murders, murderers getting set free. And there is a term, institutional violence, which means justifying murder to overthrow an institution. French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre was the one who invented the term. He was the direct, in, 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 he was the direct intellectual father to most of the terrorist movements that began during and after the 1960s. There were, they were responsible for the killing fields of Cambodia, where one-third to one-fifth one to one-third of the population was murdered. This was led by eight French-speaking middle-class Cambodian intellectuals who had all studied in France in the 1950s where they had been schooled in Sartre's doctrine of necessary violence. Then it moves on. American writer Norman Mailer, who in the late 1950s published a thesis that stated, since rage when turned inward was a danger to creativity. Was not violence, when used, externalized, invented, itself created? Meaning if you would go use violence and get it out of you and hurt somebody out of rage and violence, was that not being creative? And you're going, what in the world are people thinking? Mailer referenced a real murder of which two young men beat to death a candy shop owner and Mailer then argued that their action was actually a beneficial act of violence. One murders not only a weak 50-year-old man, but an institution as well. One violates private property. One enters into a new relation with the police and introduces a dangerous element into one's life. And these are good things. He was introduced into a relationship with the police. You're going... How twisted can that be? Now look at the world, what the world has become today, and it is a very good time for murder. Terrorist organizations have demonstrated solidarity, and we've seen that around the world, even in our United States. I think you look at Chicago, you see it on the news all the time, and you look at Chicago, which is at an all-time high rate in violence and murder. Murder is skyrocketing, suicide, children dying, to abusive parents, children killing their parents, abortion, and on and on and on we go. And we have the most knowledge today that we've ever had, more money than ever before, better information, and yet violence and murder continue to rise. Isn't that crazy? You would think with all this knowledge we have, all this information we have, that violence would be on the decline, but it's not. Where do we turn? Well, we're going to turn to God's word in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. <clears throat> Exodus 20, 13. It's a long verse, so get ready. You shall not murder. That's it. The sixth commandment in, in Hebrew, this is on your paper, consists of only two words, giving a very blunt imperative, no killing. That's what it says in the Hebrew. Our new translations have changed it to murder, and it's an excellent translation, and that's what appears in most of your versions. You shall not murder or no murder. 
And this leads to some interesting discussions. We're going to look at some of these. One would be, what about capital punishment? Some have ignored this and have argued that the commandment really forbids all taking of human life. Well, this is not, necessar- this is not possible because corresponding Jewish law lists 18 crimes subject to the death penalty. These would include murder, child sacrifice, kidnapping, incest, adultery, and witchcraft. In biblical times, capital punishment was an accepted means of law enforcement, though it was rarely carried out. Look over in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Let's go to one. We'll lead into six. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is after the flood. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the air and all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And I have given you all things even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of men, of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. There we go. As, Jesus, as God was telling Noah that the punishment was mur- for murder was to be killed, okay, to be capital punishment. And this was long before Moses. But look over in Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19. Mosaic law later distinguished between accidental and premeditated killing. Deuteronomy chapter 19, we'll look begin in verse 1. When the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you, de- and you dispose of them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall separate three cities for yourself in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall prepare roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, that any manslayer may flee there. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there, that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in the past. So here is the unintentional, accidental, non-premeditated murder or killing, I guess it would be. They had a city of refuge that they would go to that was set up. Christ didn't set aside the death penalty, but he did intervene on behalf of the woman who deserved to be stoned. If you remember that, he said, who of you can cast the first stone? She was to be put to death. Jesus didn't say anything about the death penalty, but he did intervene on the lady's behalf and show her grace. Capital punishment can be viewed as an option for human government, but used sparingly and in premeditated cases as looking at scripture. What about law and order? Human government has been set up by God with the right to use appropriate force, which may at times involve killing to uphold its laws. Look over in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. 
Romans chapter 13 will begin in verse 1. Romans 13, 1. Let every soul be subject to the government authorities, governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed to God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Paul states that the government authorities are given the right to us to bear the sword or to use the sword for capital punishment, possibly, for governing. So what about war? There is no doubt a war is terrible and many lives devastated. War is sometimes valid for the Christian. For though there are few just wars, some are justifiable. And a just war, in a sense, in one word, would be defensive. There's times we need to defend ourselves as a country, and there is a time for war. But it needs to be a just war. It doesn't need to be one where it's going out looking for war. That is not what... God meant by this. So concluding, there are at least four areas that the taking of human life is sometimes justifiable. We have capital punishment, maintaining law and order, self-defense, and just war. And so we have these four that we can, if we need to, protect ourselves or against evil that we can take alive. And then next, If we were to stop here, having only noted the instances in which the commandment allows the taking of life, we would miss the whole main thrust of the commandment, which is, and here's what you need to write in, the preciousness of life. That life is precious. The preciousness of life. Flip back over to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. We stopped a little early on that passage, but Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. So the preciousness of life. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. The interesting part is for in the image of God he made man. Man was made in the image of God. And I think about one time Lisa and I were on a trip and we were going to snorkel. And I was a little hesitant about snorkeling. I didn't know what I thought about it, you know what I mean? And it's a little difficult to do if you've never done it. and you have to. But now that I have one of those sleep machines, I could snorkel like nothing else. But anyway, that uh, <laughs> I was snorkeling and we were going around, you know, and those fish look like they're right up on you. And they're about 500 feet down there, it seems like. But anyway... But we were doing, and this thing goes crawling across in front of us, and I'm slapping my wife, you know, ducking her head under the water, and it's filling up her little tube. But anyway, it was a lobster. It's pretty cool, huh? But here's the thing. It had like 10 different colors in it. 
It was a turquoise, a red, it had a green, it had all these different colors. I've never seen anything like it in my life. So I'm slapping my wife and it's scooting across the ground and or the whatever it is, not the ground, but what would that be? The seashore or the sea ground or whatever. So I'm, we're chasing it, you know, and trying to paddle and go and stay with it. And we turned in our snorkeling equipment. I went and I told the guy, I said, my eyes may not be great, but my wife's are good. And did we see that? And he goes, you definitely sure could have. He goes, there are so many strange things down there. And, so many. and it was one of the most beautiful, rarest things I've ever seen in my life. It was gorgeous. And at first I thought it might be the light coming through, making it look different. But everything else was the same as what we thought it would be. But here's the thing, as unique and rare as that is, it is nothing compared to a baby and us. And we think about a baby that's born, and we think about our life and who we are, that we're made in the image of God. We think about a child whose eyes, when they begin to see, will transform to that brain exactly the image that they see. And they can understand that their little ears, even in the womb, can begin to tell a voice. And all it is is these sound waves going, and inside, somewhere in there, it begins to detect these sound waves that they can tell a voice, whose voice it is. I thought about playing voices over the, but I don't know how to do that in here, that you could hear and see if you could pick and tell me whose voice it was. And I promise you, I could put some voices out there and you would hear exactly and know who it is. And that is how intricate we're made. And I think about that lobster and it is nothing compared to us and mankind. We are so intricately made and we are created in the image of God. Man is without a doubt the apex of his creation. No angel can rival mankind for no angel is made in the image of God. But here's the thing. We're in awe of angels. Not that we've seen them. You know what I mean? But back in the day, we're in awe of what an angel would look like. And here's the thing. They're nothing compared to us. They're not made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. Murder is not a crime against mankind. It is a crime against God in whose image men and women are made. Look over in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. In verse 39. You're going to be familiar with this passage. I'll go to verse 34. I'll fill you in. Verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, asked Jesus a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're under the divine obligation to cherish our neighbor's life as much as we cherish our own. Your life is sacred. My life is sacred. Your checker at the grocery store's life is sacred. 
The one who runs in front of you at the stoplight is sacred. The one who does not go when the light turns green is a sinner. The one who... (laughs) The one who gets in the turn lane and doesn't turn has no hope of eternal life. The one, <laughs> we all believe that. But anyway, and I'm going to say something. I want to I ask the question, if you're packing, raise your hands up before I make this next comment, okay? <laughs> hope this, this is recording. Why do I say those dumb things? But anyway, this is speaking to the choir, even though I can't sing, the president's life is sacred. You know what? That's hard. And you think about someone who's hurt you, their life is sacred, and that is hard. Suicide, we'll get to that in just a moment. Suicide is a forbidden as well. Now, it is forgivable as any other sin, because if it's not forgivable, then Christ's blood didn't cover it. But because of God, the one who gave his life, Christ, is the ultimate sacrifice. Suicide is, for, is, is forgiven. But nevertheless, suicide is a violence against one made in the image of God themselves. And so it is a sin. Next one we all agree with, and, and even suicide, but abortion. Because humans are made in the image of God, abortion is a direct sin against God and the preciousness of humankind. Scientists would all agree that life begins at conception. And you think about 4D sonograms now. If you haven't seen one, you need to see one. There is no question. You know, there used to be, I mean, way back in the day, you didn't know what your child was going to look like. And then it came along, you kind of figured out a little bit with some of these sonograms. These 4D sonograms, there's no guessing. You know exactly what that child is going to look like when they come out. And, uh, but with the four Ds, we don't worry about when life begins. Heart rates, you can hear them with technology now early on, and you know that child is a living creation. So scientists do not argue that anymore, but the controversy has moved from the question of when life begins to the question of the value of the various stages of life. And that's where we're at today. What stage of life is valuable? In Luke, we read, we're not going to turn there, but of Elizabeth addressing Mary. And we know when Mary comes to her cousin Elizabeth and John leaps in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth says to Mary, Behold, what do I come here? Behold the mother of my Lord. So here's what she says. She's pregnant, Mary's pregnant, the mother of my Lord. So that means from that exchange, we pose this question. If young Mary had gotten an abortion, what would she have aborted? A potential human being or the eternal son of God? I think we know the answer. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder, is a profound word of grace because it is a call to be, and it's what you'd write in, a great lover of all humanity from conception to the grave. To the grave. A great lover of all humanity from conception to the grave. We see murder and killings growing in our world. And we must pray for our death-dealing world. We must show mercy and compassion that leads to action. And where does this begin? And it begins in the heart. It starts in the heart. 
During the last century in the 1800s, pretty much, a dispute erupted between Reverend Newman Smith and the great Baptist preacher, Robert Hall. In a controversy with Hall on some religious point, Smith wrote a bitter pamphlet denouncing Hall and his doctrine. Today, that would have been an email or something like that. Unable to select what he thought was just the appropriate title, he sent the pamphlet to a friend on whose judgment he relied and asked him to suggest a suitable title. Sometime before, Newman Smith had written a widely read and very helpful pamphlet, Come to Jesus. When his friend read this bitter tirade against Hall, he sent the pamphlet back to Smith with this personal note. The title which I suggest for your pamphlet is this, Go to Hell by the author of Come to Jesus. Isn't that about appropriate? He was so angry at him. There is no hate so hateful as that exercised in the name of Christian love. Christians can nurse murderous thoughts in their heart to which there is no appeal because in their twisted thinking, Christ is validated or even produced their hatred. And that is true in Christians today. That we can have a hatred in our heart towards somebody and we think it's justified. Because Christ, God has given us this because of who this person is or what they've done. And we begin to think Christ has led us. But Christians have become spiritually accomplices to making this the century of death. And I met... uh, I talking to a lady, went to see our, my daughter, and we were going to, uh, to look at a, a thing she was going to maybe enroll in and be a part of. And this lady that was there was talking about that she had come in contact with um, a lady that was transitioning. And she said, she goes, you are the first Christian that has shown me love and not judge me. And she goes, I've never met another Christian like that. And I think so many times in our life, we as Christians, we allow ourselves in the name of the Lord to have a hatred towards somebody. And the Lord speaks about this. Murderous thoughts are forbidden. Look over to Matthew chapter 5. Flip over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. And we think about this, Jesus has given an in-your-face statement about this commandment. Jesus says the Old Testament law condemns murder. But I say that contemptuous anger will get you a fiery hell. Jesus is speaking of unrighteous anger and his graphic words leave no doubt about what he means. To call someone the Arabic word raka is literally to call him empty-headed, numbskull, jerk, or idiot. Raka used in a deadly earnest demotes another person to the level of nothing. The term fool has behind it in the Greek word moros, which means we derive the word moron. 
Its meaning has nothing to do with one's IQ, but rather one's moral condition. It was applied to those who denied God's existence and as a result fell to further evil. Psalm 14.1, you don't have to turn there, but you'll know, you'll know this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So we see that Raka expresses content for the man's head, you idiot. Fool expresses content for his heart and character. And these were not terms of endearment, but of contempt. And Jesus is saying that we mustn't think we are safe just because we haven't shed blood. We are guilty enough to receive punishment if we have harbored anger and contempt. The teaching is meant to drive us to grace that Jesus is talking about here. None of us measure. We're all guilty. We've all been so angry in our heart to, to be a murderer, in a sense. And we've all been there. But we can all be forgiven by God's grace and begin to live out the sixth commandment in its depth. What we need is Christians who truly love God and the rest of mankind. That we cherish mankind and are truly committed to their best interests. People will find this mindset inviting. It's so unique that we want someone else's best interest. Even someone who is against us. And we think, well, that, that didn't make sense. Why would we ever do that? Because it's his commandment. And it shows, and again, what it also does is it allows us to turn them over to God. We just do what we're commanded to do. God does the rest. God is the one who judges. God is the one who will punish. God is the one. We're to love our neighbors just as Christ loved us. And that's hard to do. Christians who truly live out the sixth commandment will become a fountain of the grace of God. Think about that. When we truly live out this commandment, the preciousness of life, loving our neighbor, not having hatred towards someone in our heart, we live out the grace of God. Look over in Matthew, we were in 5, look at verse 23 and 24. Continue on in this passage. Verse 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Let me explain this. A worshiper has entered the great temple of Herod with his sacrifice and has passed through the concentric courts, the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, the court of men. And now beyond him lies the court of the priests, into which only priests can pass. The worshiper is standing at the threshold of the court. His hands are on the sacrifice, and he is ready to confess his sins. But then he remembers that he has wronged his brother, and his conscience throbs. He whirls and retreats through the great courts all the way back out, because he must first go to his brother. Jesus' point is so clear. It is far more important to be reconciled to your brother than to fulfill a worship duty. And Jesus' demand to make it right immediately is clear because if we do not go then and make it right, we'll never do it. We'll just put it off and say, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to. I'll just wait. I'll just wait. And then we never do it. You shall not murder is a, per- <clears throat> not murder is a positive call to cherish our neighbor Because they are made in the image of God. And we show we are Christians by our love. We show we're Christians by our love. That is an outward flowing that we know Christ. 
And we are commanded to love our neighbors. Doesn't say that they have to be good neighbors, not the State Farm neighbors. That was funny, okay? You don't have to be good neighbors. You shall not murder, forbids hateful thoughts. And we cannot invite people to come to Jesus when we hate someone else. We get so angry when people get murdered. We think about even abortion, and it can make us so upset. And granted, it should. But then, according to these passages, if we have hatred towards someone, we're on the same level. See, in our hearts, we've got to, we've got to recognize that, okay, it's easy for me to judge and say they're wrong. And granted, that is sin. It's murder. But Jesus is saying, you're just as bad. Don't have any hatred in your heart. Don't have that bitter hatred, that contempt in your heart for someone. Reconcile that. Seek forgiveness. You know what? And that is hard. That is hard for me. It's hard for you. Especially when someone really hurts you. And the only way we can do this is when we reflect on God's grace. We recognize that I'm to be obedient to love my neighbor. And we know that the neighbor is everyone. It's not just the next door neighbor. It's everyone. Even some of the ones I don't really know. And I'm to love them. I'm to cherish them. They're sacred. They're made in the image of God. Just as I am. And we have to recognize that as I'm made in the image of God, so are they. And when I have this hatred in my heart... Murder, whatever it be, abortion, suicide, a killing, or premeditated murder, all of those are against someone who's made in the image of God. And so if, if we hate someone, and we have this in our heart, we're just as that author. Go to hell from the author of Come to Jesus. And I love that story because it really throws it into context of how we are. We want people to come to know Jesus, but then we hate, and it's almost like we want to say go to hell for them because we don't love. So I challenge you is you think about the do not murder, no killings, as that would say in the Hebrew, and you think about that. Think about and pray, Lord, let me not have any murderous thoughts or hatred or anger or contempt towards anyone. Help me to love as you love. Help me to be an instrument of your grace to show grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. And that I won't harbor these in my heart. And we can walk clean before the Lord and the Lord will bless and the Lord will judge. We're just a picture of God's grace. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, Lord. And as we looked in it today and as we think about you shall not murder. And Lord, we... So many times it's easy for us to to look at the actual killing of a life. And Lord, that is horrific. And Lord, and it grieves you in its sin. But God, I pray that we will also examine our hearts, that we will not allow this hatred or this anger, this contempt in our heart. And Lord, that we will ask for forgiveness, Lord, we will not harbor that. Because Lord, we'd be guilty. And, Lord, I pray that you will help us to be instruments of your grace. Lord, that that will be inviting to those out there who have experienced hatred. And, Lord, maybe even those who's hurt us, that, Lord, we can still show grace. 
And Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Pray that you be with us as we go out this evening, Lord, as we come back on Sunday. And Lord, thank you for the time we had. It's in your name we pray. Amen.